Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is someone we've been lucky to have on stage with us many, many times. She's one of the genuine thought leaders of our industry and a leader more broadly. She's a fierce advocate. She's super smart and uh, brings passion to the table like no one else I know in that combination and has had incredible longevity at one of the great bellwether companies that America's ever created. I'll still call them Linda General Electric. I know it's GE. And with us today is the Global Chief Marketing and Communications Officer of GE, Linda Boff. Welcome, Linda. Matt, it's wonderful to be here. I would just love to um, every day hear that introduction. That was so generous and kind of you. And it's I've really been looking forward to this conversation. So thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great. I'll be your uh, hype man uh, any anytime, anytime. So Linda, so many places to start with you, but I, I thought we might start by talking about your role as president of the GE Foundation. If there's one thing I know about you, it's not only are you a fierce advocate for the business, but you're also a fierce advocate for people and causes and issues and those who life may not have been as kind to. Uh, So I'd love to talk about the GE Foundation. You still lead that as president and talk about that. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I love starting there. So um, several years back, um, the company asked me to to take on the presidency of the foundation in, in addition to the the other things that I that I have the fortune to do at GE. And it was the fastest yes you can imagine because to be able to um, build on the the brand, the reputation that that I think we we are fortunate to have in so many places of the world with being able to do good work that not just enhances, that brand, but actually makes a difference in people's lives is a privilege. And one of the things I have loved, really loved as in this foundation role is actually, Matt, being able to do something that I know I enjoy doing, and that is taking a step back and looking at the work that we were doing in the foundation, which for, gosh, nearly 100 years when when I took this on is excellent work in communities where we live and work, um, driving education and and job skills. But I I think like many things, um, we were doing a little in a lot of places. And again, that's great. But what was important to the foundation board and and team and and I was, was there a way to kind of concentrate what we were doing for a little more impact. And we um, did some reflection. And obviously, we're a company that is very dedicated to science and innovation. So we looked at STEM and kind of (laughs) said to ourselves, you know, there's an underserved letter in STEM, and that's E, engineering. And we're a company of engineers. So we created really from scratch a couple of years ago, something called Next Engineers. And we picked initially four global markets in Joburg, in the UK, a couple in the United States, Cincinnati and and Greenville, South Carolina. These are communities, Matt, where we live and work, but they also were communities where we felt that there was an opportunity for us to go into schools, you know, middle school, high school, and even higher education and give people, give young people an opportunity that they didn't have. I think I, you know, I think back to my 
you know, fourth grade self, I couldn't have defined what an engineer is. I, I didn't know what they did. And so we've gone into these communities with um, volunteerism. So people from GE teams go into these schools, they teach, they educate, they um, give students an opportunity. Um, so we have a curriculum focus, we have summer camps, and we're awarding scholarships for people who then want to pursue engineering. And as you can probably tell, you were kind enough to, to um, you know, mention my passion. It's really, it really comes alive here because I, you know, it, those of us in marketing um, have the, the pleasure of bringing creativity to the forefront and finding ways to connect with people. But to be able to put our, our money, so to speak, out there and see that impact, it's it's pretty great stuff. So I'm very proud of the teams and, you know, have had the chance to hear from some of the students and it's um, it's really good work. Absolutely fantastic. You know, GE is such an interesting company in American history. And I reflect back to some of the early leaders who we were lucky enough to get to know. Beth Comstock comes to mind. Judy Hu comes to mind. And now you, Linda. What do you think it is about that company that has created or nurtured such dynamic women leaders that really in many ways were ahead and are still ahead of their time? Yeah, again, you're 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 very kind and and you know Beth remains a, a great friend and mentor and and I have a ton of admiration for Judy and, and the work that she did. And um so I think it's a couple things. I think to work at GE is to kind of fall in love with what we do. And and I, I don't think we're a better company than another company is, but we are a company with a deep-seated purpose to help make the world better. And I know a lot of companies probably do that in their own ways. We do it in some very essential ways. And what I mean by that, of course, is, you know, we supply electricity to a third of, to, to a third of the world. We help airplanes take off and land safely with our jet engines. We help people go into the hospital scan their bodies. And, you know, I hear from people, oh, I, I went in, I was a little nervous. I saw the GE logo on the CT machine. And with that comes great responsibility, right? That old Superman line with power comes great responsibility. And so I think it is humbling to work at GE um, because the work itself is, is bigger than any one of us. And it has impact on the ground for, for, for millions and millions of people. Two, and I think Beth and Judy would say in their own words, a version of what I'm about to say, which is, you know, we take a lot of pride in being the sons and daughters of Thomas Edison. We had a hell of a founder. And, you know, that kind of courses through our, our blood, whether we're in marketing or engineering or legal or finance, you know, there's, again, this sense that um, we have helped, we've played a role in inventing things that the world really needs. And then I, I think that, um, you know, to get to the, the you know, why women, um, I, I think there's been a incredible commitment at GE through the three CEOs I've worked for at this point, three GE amazing CEOs, each different, but, but each, you know, extremely talented in making sure that um, 
as we put people in roles, it's about capability and commitment and, um, you know, common sense and smarts and all the rest. And I think as a result, it's not been about who's the, the, the you know, it's been a bit, a bit gender blind in the right sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result, a lot of women have, um, you know, had great opportunities, still work to do there, right? Like oh, everything, yeah. they still work to do, but it's been, um, I'm proud that, I'm proud to have followed those leaders and I'm proud of the teams that 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 I lead that are really quite diverse. Yeah, I, I think if we were making sort of a Mount Rushmore the last 20 years of some of the most important leaders, irrespective of gender, they would be the people that we just talked about. And that's a, a, a tremendous badge of achievement. Well, I, I, I love that. I love the chisel I'm imagining on the rock as you say that. But it, it really is. It's, it's an honor. And it's one, you know, Matt, I mean, we both have worked with so many people. You know, I think part of that is what you do with that and who you then turn the baton to and the reins and all the rest of it and watch grow. And I have some of the most spectacularly talented women on my team um, and men as well. But it is, you know, I have the, I've had the fortune of, of co-leading GE's Women's Network um, these God last, I don't know, five, six years. And um, you get to a point in your career where it really is about the obstacles you clear for the people who work for you for the next generation. And I take that quite seriously. And I, 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 I know Beth did as well. So I, you know, to be able to honor her out loud with you is, is um, frankly, very touching for me. Uh, yeah, and so well-deserved. So, so let's stay where we are for a second with a very timely and topical issue. And that's uh, women leadership and gender and the pay gap and uh, so many other areas. We had uh, someone I'm sure you know, Julia Borston on Great Minds a few months ago, and Julia just wrote a book, and there was a startling to me statistic in there that only 2% of all new private equity and venture capital goes to women-led or founded business. And that on the flip side of the coin, women-led businesses are more successful than male-led businesses, a very odd juxtaposition of facts. Where do you think we are in addressing this from a broader business culture sense? And why is it taking so damn long for the private equity and VC world, I know you're involved there as well, to recognize the reality that female founded businesses stand to be better investments? Kind of nuts, isn't it, that we're having this conversation in 2023? I mean, you, you gave me an opening there, so I'll take it, which is earlier this year, just in January, I joined as a senior advisor to Citation Capital, a um, new private equity fund, you know, literally just kicked off um, at the beginning of this year. And and many things drew me to the group, but but one of them for sure were the fact that two women have founded this and that they are committed to um, creating a, a private equity fund for the future, so to speak, one that is committed as, as you know, to, to excellence and great investment. And I think the, I don't have an answer because I, I, I think the answer is whatever any one person 
can do. And then hopefully that starts to, to ladder up and the echo becomes louder and the demand becomes louder. But I, I think it starts with how you behave, the actions you take, um, the actions we take as leaders, who we bring into meetings, who we give the microphone to, how we don't hog the microphone. You know, there's once upon a time, and, and luckily I have not experienced this, but, you know, I think there was a time when there were so few women in C-suite boardrooms, et cetera, that when they got that microphone, it was hard not to hog it, right? Because it, it, they had just clawed their way up. I don't see that anymore. I see people who are sharing the mic, bringing others in, promoting others. To me, that's what it has to be about, Mad, I, you know, again, I have so many male colleagues, I, I don't want to bash anybody, but I, I, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, I, I co-lead this tremendous women's network and, you know, it was, um, it shouldn't have been a realization, but, but I think along the way, we kind of had that light bulb moment, so to speak, where we realized that if it's just women talking to women, how are we going to make a difference? So we were very, committed to bringing, you know, the voices of our male colleagues in so that it didn't become an echo chamber. It's got to be more than, you know, just a, a one-way conversation. I think that's true of, you know, affinity groups, you know, employee resource groups, right? If the conversation is too monolithic, it's an echo chamber. It's not, you know, changing the fabric, which I think is important. Super proud of GE's board, which is unbelievably diverse. So, you know, you, you make changes and, and hopefully changes beget changes. Yeah, no, I, so well said. And I think, you know, you really do lead by example. Uh, I think very simply, something you said really is really striking. You know, who you bring into the meetings. You know, it starts with things as simple as that. You know, I'm super proud that our business is led largely by women. And for many, many years, people came to us and said, oh, you should start an award show. It's such a good business. And I said, well, listen, I don't know that anybody needs another pay to enter awards. You know, there's such an epidemic of them. I think we almost have an award in our industry for best at boiling water. And when we did start one, it was a non pay to enter. And it's something that we've now done in New York, London, Johannesburg. It's launching in Tokyo. Uh, future is female, which is about recognizing outstanding female leaders. And we kicked it off in New York with a big concert. We had TLC afterwards. That was, you know, huge. Um, we just did it in London a few weeks ago at BAFTA, actually last week. And uh, I'm very proud of that, that it's not pay to enter an actual merit. Uh, I love that, Matt. I love it. You know, you're reminding me of something. This was a tip from a, a, a woman I work with. Um, and again, there's just a practicality of it that I really love. She told me that when she's asked to speak on a, on a panel, she's a scientist, not a marketer. The first question she asks is, um, who else is represented on this panel? And if she's the only woman, she says no. Yeah. Smart. So, you know, which yeah. again, I, I share that it's simple, but I think it, it does come back to what each one of us can do to kind of share this, share the stage, share the mic, share the credit, um, which I think, I think it matters. Yeah, no, it was a whole trail this morning with our team in Tokyo and it's Japan business is male dominated and we're pushing back pretty hard. And overall, globally, we have more women on stage as a percentage than we do men. 
I don't know that anybody who plays ball at our level does that. And that's a conscious decision that we made and not only gender, but, you know, we pay attention to everything, you know, in America, you'll see, you know, black, Hispanic, Asian, you know, Southeast Asian, you know, and that's very purposeful. And I think you have to make that commitment as you have made over your career. And if you do make the commitment, you can make it happen. It's not a, I don't know, I don't know what to do, you know, well, you do and you have to do it. Yeah. And I think, you know, like any, like solving any problem, you know, you sort of start by starting, yeah. not by sort of wringing your hands over everything. But, I, you know, if each of us do it and I, I really, my hat's off to you, Matt, because it's not easy. It's not easy. It has to be purposeful. It has to be intentional. I think we are uh, have the same mind on that topic. So uh, let's talk about something else you touched on which is leadership and marketing leadership. You've been at the center of this conversation for a long time, even before you joined at GE, going back to your tenure at City. Talk about where we were, give or take 20 years ago, in terms of leading the conversation around marketing and how it's evolved. One of the evolutions, certainly domestic to global, so many, of your colleagues have a global remit now. The US is only part of the equation. In America, we tend to think we're the be all end all, but we're actually one of 200 some odd countries out there that matter, not the only one that matters. Give us your sort of finger on the pulse on where we are from a marketing leadership vantage point. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful question. And, you know, I guess a couple things come to mind, Matt. You, you know, I think once upon a time, um, and I have been at this a while, you know, marketing was easily uh, synonymous with advertising and promotion and, you know, paid activity. And I don't think it was held up as a true growth engine in the way that it is today. Um, similarly, and again, I think it depended on the organization and the sophistication of the organization. You know, companies got Apple seemed to understand marketing in 1984. Um, I just watched Air. If, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch Air. Anybody who's listening, it's really good. You know, Nike understood this back in the day, but I think um, it was less sophisticated. Data obviously was less of a tool than it is today. Um, you know, there's much less guesswork that needs to happen because we have the we have the data, we have the insights. Now it's a question of what we're going to do with them, how we're going to act upon them. Um, so I think there, there are um, mechanics that have changed. I think marketing um, has a different role in companies. I take a lot of pride in the fact that many days, many hours of many days are spent with other members of the C-suite, be it finance or um, um, legal or risk or BD or communication. So I think the conversation, um, I believe, is less siloed than it once was. And I think those are those are very good evolutions. Sometimes though, I think that we need to remember the alchemy 
that exists in marketing and not lose sight with all the tools that we have at our disposal, uh, with all the data that we have at our disposal, that as Ingenui once said early in the pandemic, marketers are the soul of a company. And I really firmly believe that, that we are there to remind, to um, recognize, to you know, bring forward um, what a company's DNA is about, both internally and externally. I think it's I think it starts with our employees, our brand ambassadors, but I think it carries through to our stakeholders globally. And I think if marketers forget about the impact, the purpose, and the at times creative magic that is a differentiator, then I think you know all the tools in the world don't really help us. What's gonna make you stop? What's gonna make me stop? And pay attention, engage, get interested, buy, or go or take part in an experience. It's more than just serving an ad and targeting. This is sort of an unfair question, but we have so many tools now in our toolkit that didn't exist 20 years ago. You talked about data and and, uh, just being one of them. Do you think it's harder now or easier? I think I think if you allow it to be hard, it's hard. And I think if you're able to step back and say, what is it we're trying to achieve? What's our North Star? What's the growth we're trying to drive? What's the mission of the company? What is it that we're trying to do from a business point of view first, right? It's not marketing to market. It's what are GE's goals? And then say, okay, let's break it down. As a one-time psychology major, I always go back, Matt, to what is it that the audience wants? What's the behavior we're trying to drive? How is that going to show up for people? And then, okay, let's get into the, the, you know, what it looks like, how we're going to do it, how we're going to measure it. I think tools can be overwhelming and if you if you get too stuck there i think you lose the the narrative but i don't think it needs to be more complicated i mean just the way that channels have proliferated to such an enormous extent you know the channels in which we we reach people linearly streaming digitally out of home i mean you know bah, 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 bah. Um, is it overwhelming yeah it can be but in the end nobody's invented more than 24 hours in the day we'll see if chat gbt changes that but so far they're 24 hours in the day you can only pay attention to a certain number of things and there're only a certain number of things that people care enough about So I think it's aligning that and your marketing tech stack allows you to do that and your creative allows you to do that. But it's this, it's the, it's the connection. I think that was a great answer to a mediocre question. Let's again, sort of stay with this, you know, incredible company GE and I'm reflecting now early on. One of the first things we did was we created this Madison Avenue advertising walk of fame and we honored America's favorite icons and slogans. 
And I remember Imagination at Work was one of the earliest winners way back when, probably 2004, 2005, somewhere in that range. You've had a great history of creating great work and worked with some terrific, terrific agencies. Give us your broader commentary, not just GE, but on the evolution of the client agency dynamic. Uh, very hot topic. Uh, I know the, you know, the four A's and the ANA constantly working together to try to improve that dynamic, but give us your reflections as a true leader of the marketing community. I love the question because I am very passionate about my answer, which is, um, we would not, GE would not have the, the narrative, the brand, the voice and the work that I am proud to, to chapter in, right? It's a multi-chapter book without our agencies. And I, um, I know there are lots and lots of different models. Our model has been, and I've probably even accentuated this a little bit, that we have a relatively small in-house team and that we create, Matt, sort of a string of pearls with what I believe are you know, best in breed for, for what they do. Um, we have never, um, or at least certainly never in my reign, sort of said, okay, here's our holding company, we're staying there. It's where is their like-minded talent who is going to push us and who is going to help us see around corners. Again, I'm a believer that, particularly after you know being here for, gosh, 19 years or so, um, even though I try hard to get into the marketplace, I try hard to challenge myself. The fresh eyes that you get from an external agency is invaluable. Our relationship with BBDO stretches back a century. Now, I don't stretch back a century, um, but we have managed to have a partnership that has stood the test of time. Every day in an agency client relationship is not perfect, but you know our batting average overall, I, I, I put against anybody. I do believe clients get the work they deserve. So if you are not a good client and you don't understand how to develop a brief, how to appreciate creatives, how to direct, um, how to knit together what your business North Star is with where an agency is going to um, push you, then you may not get such great work. But, and and again, I, I lots of people are really, really good at this, but, you know, I said a string of pearls, we have multiple agencies, we firmly sit in the middle of that table, we know our strategy, um, we, um, there are times we zig and zag, so you don't always get it right the first time. But uh, as I said, we wouldn't be here without the BBDOs and Giant Spoons and Vayner Media and now Laundry Service and gosh, some of the Barbarian groups, so many others. I'm going to leave out a hundred if I start naming them. And, um, I'm really proud to work with agencies. Really, really proud. Great answer opens up another question. You talk about the tenure of the relationship with BBDO in particular, and you, and there's a few of you that come to mind, uh, people like Fiona Carter, I think has had a really great uh, long tenure. Uh, it's been I, really at two places since I know her, Omnicom for so many years and doing wonderful work now at Goldman Sachs. 
And AT&T in the middle. Oh, AT&T, forgive me, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no, she's tremendous. And uh, our friend Raja, uh, Raja Menor at MasterCard has had a very long tenure, sort of defying that notion of, you know, the average tenure of the CMO keep getting shorter and shorter. Do you think the pendulum is starting to swing back the other way as marketing is more valued or is it still losing the battle to, you know, the CFO and procurement? Oh boy, couldn't we spend an hour talking about just that? So there are people, you name several of them, I throw Mark Pritchard in there certainly as well as just, you know, somebody who I look up to and am fortunate to, to call, to call a friend. Um, so uh, I don't know the why. I've asked myself this so many times in terms of this, you know, it's it's not just a it, it's not just a trope. There there is a shorter tenure, relatively speaking, to CMOs than other members of the C-suite. Although, Matt, I feel like I saw something recently, I can't remember if it was a Spencer poll or what, that that it 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 isn't, you know. It's not dramatically different than other members of the C-suite, but it is less. Um, I think that this comes back to something you and I talked about a moment ago, which is, is the CMO, CMO excuse me, aligned with the business objectives of growth for the organization? So I think if you're not um, holding hands with the CEO and CFO and um, CHRO and general counsel, you know, that that's perhaps not so good. So I, I think being incredibly aligned is important. Um, I think if you are seen as, oh yeah, great, you know, you know, good campaign, not so much, right? It's got to be much deeper in the, in the fabric of how an organization is growing. I want to believe that there will be more Fiona's and, and Rogers and, and Mark's and, and Linda's. And I think there are. I also think there's something, and perhaps it gets to a little bit of what you and I talked about on the agency conversation, which is how do you, as a CMO, stay fresh, stay current? I didn't grow up digitally, obviously. Um, I um, was fortunate early-ish to do a real immersion when I was at iVillage in what digital meant by working for a pure play. And that's how I learned SEO and SEM. I mean, I learned it because I had to run it. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. So my team taught me. And then when I came back to GE after that, I sort of had that hunger and created a digital advisory board and just spent and continue to spend a lot of time with with people who are digital natives but look I can't pretend that that I grew up on TikTok I didn't so I think there's a little bit of that um regeneration of how do you stay um modern in what you know and what you do and I think you have to work hard to do that and appreciate and surround yourself with people who have that that lens. But I, I again, I, I, um, this is not my favorite stat in the world, the CMO tenure stat. I, I hope I can continue to to um, show the way to to others and feel fortunate. I've been in this role for, oh gosh, eight years or so, eight nine years. Yeah, and, and you mentioned some other great names, Mark and Jim Stengel before him. 
Mark and Jinx. I mean, exactly. Beth, my God. I mean, we started talking about Beth. You know, Beth was, I don't know how many years she was CMO, um, should. And, you know, to this day, I mean, look at that. She defined modern marketing at GA. So, you know, hopefully for everyone that that is, um, you know, that that has a shorter tenure, we can we can prove it out the other way with with some of us long timers. I want to go back in, in two different ways, two different roads, and talk about the last 20 years. And I'm going to ask both questions, and you can answer whichever one you want to answer first. So the GE that you began with and where GE is today, very different company. And I sort of in my head have the analogy of you on a, a surfboard, you know, trying to make sure that you stay vertical for those 20 years, which you have brilliantly. We've also seen tremendous change in the industry the last 20 years. You know, when we started Advertising Week 2004, just a little less than 20 years, uh, you know, there was no Facebook, there was no YouTube, there was no TikTok, there was no iPhone, there was no Android, there was no AR, VR, advanced TV, connected TV, the whole world that you're in now of, you know, the growth of uh, technology in the medical and health arena, you know, to bring another industry into the conversation, completely different from where it was 20 years ago. Give us your reflections on the industry's journey and on GE's journey, very different company 2023 than 20, uh, 20 years ago, and tackle either one, whichever you like first. I'll do the industry um, if I could first and, and then and then go to, to to GE. So, you know, I'm at the point where I do remember a handful of television networks where you could advertise and and uh, most people flocking to things like the Sunday morning shows when you wanted to kind of get your thought leadership message out there or on, you know, the op-ed page where was it Exxon or mobile sort of started that advertising, you know, that I studied, I don't remember it per se, but um, so I, I like to keep things simple. Um, the reason we all spent time on those channels and trying to figure out how we could reach people on those channels was because that's where people were spending their time. Now, when leaders or future employees or investors are spending their time on Instagram or TikTok or LinkedIn or playing with VR, we want to be where our audiences are. So in a way, it's the same. Where are people paying attention? Where are people deeply engaged? And what is as natural a way as possible for us to reach them? So I, I will give you an example. Um, uh, this past December, we partnered with the New York Times and did the first takeover of the paper in 171 years. We bought every single ad. And now you may say, wow, you know, people don't have the budget to do that. Relatively speaking, we just went chips in on one thing. It was the same budget we would have spent in the in the fourth quarter. Um, and we went to print, which isn't sexy in some to some people, but I wanted and the company wanted a moment, and I'll bring it into GE land now, to be able to talk about how GE is moving from one company to three new public companies, one of which we spun in January, 
The others we will spend some time in early 24. And so we chose the New York Times because we knew we could have the real estate, so to speak, to tell a long form story and make it all about how this move from one company to three companies would allow us to focus on our customers and focus on these specific industries, which matters to employees, it matters to investors, it matters to customers. So, you know, GE has evolved tremendously in 20 years. The company that I joined in, you know, basically early 2004 was a portfolio that was unbelievably diverse. We owned NBC, we owned appliances, lighting, we had a water division, I think we, a security division came along. We were really diverse. Nearly 50% of our company was in financial services. Today, 20, almost 20 years later, we're in three industries, healthcare, aerospace, and energy. And today, aerospace and energy because healthcare is an independent public company. So uh, the company's evolved. Um, what has not changed? We are a brand that is recognized the world over, that stands for stability, that is trusted and is seen as innovative. So when we had this fork in our road, and it was a fork, Matt, we announced in November of 21 that we would separate into three companies. We did not at that point say how we were going to brand those companies. We said, we're going to have three separate companies. And we spent six months after that going to the marketplace, going to customers, going to investors, going to key opinion leaders and certainly to employees and really kicking the tires on should we continue to use the GE brand on these three companies? It's sort of unprecedented. It will be hard to come up with another example, at least today, of a company that is that that separates and retains their name. I mean, Johnson & Johnson um, just announced, oh gosh, I'm now going to forget the name, um, Kenview, Kenview, I think is their new name. IBM spun their division with a new name. Um, and we made the in, intentional decision that we would keep GE as our name going forward. So we're carrying forward this brand that has meant something for 131 years, even as three separate public companies. Well, it's tremendous brand equity there, tremendous brand equity in you. And to me, GE still such an iconic brand. You know, in my head, if we're looking for an appliance, the brand I go to, which doesn't exist anymore, of course, is GE appliances because we all grew up with them. And the trust that that brand uh, has meant for, as you said, 131 years, you have been such a, an incredible steward of that brand and what it means in business, in culture. We are always thrilled to have you on the thought leadership stage. You know you have an open invitation to speak at any of the advertising weeks. Uh, I'd love to get you in some of the other markets uh, to Johannesburg or Sydney or, or somewhere, uh, not in the 212 area code. Uh, and I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation, Linda. This was just terrific. Matt, uh, right back at you. You've been such a leader in our industry. It is always a pleasure 
to be with you, whether it's on air or on stage. And I, I thank you to you for all you have done to an industry, for an industry that I think we both really love and treasure. So loved, love the conversation. Thanks for having me. You got it.